I am so grateful for the opportunity of uh, meeting with some of the church family because I think probably like many others we've really missed that opportunity of just being together and uh, I'm grateful because I've got something to share with you that, that has really helped me this week and uh, challenged me and I hope that it, you'll find it of interest and of some encouragement. I'd like to read to you just a few verses from Ephesians chapter 6 verses 5 to 9 and the heading in my Bible is slaves and masters. Slaves and masters. Well Paul writes as directed by the Holy Spirit, slaves obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Well, there we have just a few verses that are actually packed full of meaning. So let's take a moment and we'll just pray together. Father, we are just so grateful that this morning we have the opportunity of being in your presence. We thank you that as we started our service thinking about the sacrifice of others, on our behalf, we're mind, mindful that sacrifice was best modeled in your son, the Lord Jesus, when he who knew no sin became sin for us, that by his wounds we might be set free. And we thank you that in setting us free, you have a plan for our lives. And you give us details of that plan in your word. So as we look at your word together this morning, we, we, we pray that you'd make it come alive for us, that we might just catch a glimpse of your heart in it, O oh Lord. And we pray that the response in each heart might be such as to bring a smile of pleasure to your face. So do please... Help us, Lord, as we look at these verses and seek to understand them. We ask these things in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, Paul starts off this section with this interesting phrase, slaves obey your earthly masters. Now, it has been said that in the Roman Empire, there were possibly as many as 60 million slaves. I don't know because I came across another author who said there was only six million. But six million is a, is a, is a huge amount, and even one slave is too many. Slavery was and is a blight on humanity. And there are a lot of slaves today. I believe that even in the city of Glasgow, you're never less than 200 yards away from somebody who is kept in sexual slavery. The International Justice Mission will give you more details of that. So slavery is a real thing today, and I think it's absolutely terrible, a blight on humanity. 
Abraham Lincoln said, whenever I hear anyone arguing for slavery, I feel a strong impulse to see it tried on him personally. And I, that really resonates with me. I, I can't understand why people would want to subject others to slavery. Well, in Paul's day, slavery was an accepted institution. It was part of life and accepted as such. And Paul neither condemns slavery nor condones slavery. But that's not what he's addressing in this particular passage. We know enough to know that when we look at the scriptures, we've always got to take note of the context. And if you look at the context, Paul has been speaking about wives and husbands, and then he goes on to talk about children and parents, and then he talks about slaves and masters. So in other words, Paul is dealing with spiritual order. He's not dealing with social system. He's dealing with spiritual order. So we read this passage and ask the question, is it relevant to us today? I mean, I'm looking around at a congregation of folks who are free. You're not slaves, so is this relevant to us today? Well, actually, it absolutely is. Now, understand that as the gospel was preached, that men and women's lives were impacted by it, and, and they came to faith, both slaves and free. And in coming to faith, they, they became part of the body, which is the church, of which Christ is the head. And I can just imagine that when they met together as masters and slaves, there was a little awkwardness. I mean, how do we relate to each other, master and slaves? Because uh, they're very different. The pecking order is very different. How do they relate together? Well, I, I, I imagine that Paul wrote about this because this was an issue in the very early church. Folks were unsure of how to, how to relate to those in authority. Well, there's a very interesting man called R.C. Sproul, and he was speaking to some executives in a very large corporation, and they were uneasy about linking the Christian faith and business. You know, he was saying that there is a link between what you believe and how you behave. There's a link. Well, eventually, he caught the understanding and enthusiasm of the board chairman. And the chairman of the board, who was listening to his talk, said, let me see if I can connect what you're saying. If uh, what I hear is that our business life is affected by how we treat people. And how we treat people is a matter of ethics. And ethics are determined by our philosophy. And our philosophy reflects our theology. So respecting people is really a matter of theology. Isn't that great? There you go. Don't you just love it when something like that happens to distract us? Because it means we're on track. Okay, so this businessman worked out that actually uh, the way we treat people is a matter of theology. It's a matter of theology. How very interesting that thought is. You see, 
Christianity, real Christianity, transforms the way people treat one another. Now, critics uh, would sometimes ask, why didn't Paul condemn slavery? And why did it take the church so many centuries to abolish it? Well, I would point out that it was largely Christians who were involved in the abolishing of slavery, but perhaps the answer is found in the counter question, why are we not treating people the way God treats us? I have to tell you that I'm a bit naughty sometimes. Uh, I, I used to get people to say the Lord's Prayer, especially the bit where it says, uh, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And having got folks to pray that prayer, I would say to people, well, you know, God takes your prayer seriously. And then I would begin to unpack what the scripture says about how we live with each other and how we relate to each other, which is something we need to be really thoughtful about, especially when we've said, Lord, deal with me the way I deal with others. So this is really very important. So Paul gives us some instruction, which I think applies to us today in, in really clear ways. So I'm going to look at, think about the relationships between employees and employers. Uh, now, notice that Paul starts off and he says, slaves or employees, obey your earthly masters. There's nothing ambiguous about it, that it's quite direct. And I guess this recognizes the employer's right to decide what needs to be done and just how he or she wants it to be done. It's the employee's job to, to obey his employer as long as it doesn't dis, uh, involve disobeying God. I don't know if you've heard of a guy called Stuart Briscoe. He's a, 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 a wonderful man and uh, he's ministering in America, but he's, he's British. And when he started off... Um, he started off working in a bank, and one day he was in the manager's office, and the phone rang, and the bank manager said, Stuart, answer the phone. So Stuart answered the phone, and it was somebody looking for the bank manager. So he put his hand over the receiver and said to the bank manager, Mr. So-and-so, it's somebody's looking for you. And the bank manager said, tell me I'm not here. So Stuart Briscoe said, just a moment, I'll pass the phone over. And he did. And afterwards, the bank manager was absolutely incandescent with rage that he hadn't obeyed his instruction. And Stuart Briscoe looked at him and said, well, if you know that I won't lie for you, you can be jolly sure that I won't lie to you. And the bank manager thought about that and thought, well, actually, that's probably a good thing. So that was Stuart Briscoe. Well, Paul goes on and he elaborates on what he means. He talks about respect and fear. He says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Now, literally, with fear and trembling. Now, this is not a begrudging respect or a craven fear, because the same words are used about our relationship as Christians with the Father. The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. We don't fear God as though God has a big stick and he's about to beat us up and then put a banana skin in our way tomorrow morning. That's, we don't fear God like that. We, we fear to offend God because we know that if we offend him, that it hurts him. And because we love him, we really don't want to hurt him. That's, that's the fear that's involved in that. And, and these words speak of an appropriate respect. Now, 
it has to be said, this can be very challenging when we work for somebody who is unwise, but we have to remember that we are serving Christ first and foremost. Slaves, obey your earthly master with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Gosh, there's not a lot of wiggle room in that, is there? We have to obey, we have to work with seeking to honor God, even when we're working with somebody who might be abrasive and a little bit unpleasant, and most of us have had that experience. So we are to remember that we are serving Christ. And then he says that we are um, to do so with sincerity of heart. And that's interesting because literally translated, it, it is with singleness of heart. That's the way we are to, to obey. And that means that we're not to have an ulterior motive. It's the kind of the opposite of duplicity. You know, duplicity, pulling the wool over somebody's eyes. That's, that's we're to be the very opposite of that. And the word sincere is a really interesting word. It comes from the Latin sinacera, meaning without wax. Now, let me explain that to you. You may have heard the explanation before, but it's very interesting. My twin brother is a craft potter in Ireland. That has been his career, a craft potter in Ireland. And he gave me a go once, uh, many years ago, and he takes the clay, and he has the wheel that's spinning around, and he threw the clay onto the wheel, and then he throws the pot. He says, have a go. So I took the, the clay and I sat down and I, I, I threw the clay on the wheel that was spinning around as he did and it went around twice and then came all over my, all over my shirt because I didn't do it very well. But I, I, I've watched him throw pots and I have a lot of his pots at home. But very many years ago when the potters would throw pots they would then put it into the kiln to bake the pot. But because the temperature controls in Jesus' day, we're not very sophisticated. Sometimes the pots cracked. Now, if you were a potter and you made pots and you were selling them, what you would very often would happen is you'd take a little bit of maybe brown wax and you'd fill in the cracks and you'd just kind of disguise the cracks so it looked as though the pot was fine. But if you bought a pot and you wanted to make some soup and you put it in, in your oven... <laughs> put it onto a fire, well, if there was wax in it, the wax would melt. And then maybe you'd lose your soup or your meal. So they used to sell pots and they would have this sign up saying, sincere, without wax. In other words, it was, it was authentic. It was undamaged all the way around. And I just think that's a, a, a lovely picture because that's the way Paul wants us to be. And the word it, Paul uses actually includes the idea of generosity as well as sincerity. It suggests that an employee shouldn't hold back, shouldn't hold back, but give of his or her best. The knowledge that we're serving Christ as we serve others, that's to be our motivation. Now, uh, John Stott says in one of his commentaries, and I'm going to quote, he says, it's possible for the housewife to cook a meal as if Jesus Christ were going to eat it, or to spring clean the house 
as if Jesus Christ was coming to be the honored guest. It's possible for teachers to educate children, for doctors to treat patients, and nurses to care for them, for solicitors to help clients, shop assistants to serve customers, accountants to audit books, and secretaries to type letters as if in each case they were serving Jesus Christ. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that lovely? Well, near our home, I saw not long ago a van parked at the side of the road. I don't know if you can see what's actually on that, um, on the side of that van. It says, we exist to build great things. I thought, wow, isn't that really positive attitude for the builders? We exist to build great things. And there's a well-traveled parable that tells of three workmen who were building a cathedral and who were questioned by a passerby, what are you doing? And the first guy said, well, I'm just chipping and shaping this stone. And the second guy said, well, I'm, I'm earning my living. And when the third guy was asked, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm building a great cathedral. What a great attitude. And that is the attitude which is to be ours when we see lives as Christ's edifice being built to his glory. And this is what spawns our respect and sincerity towards others whom we serve. It says, and again, verse 5a, obey, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ, just as you would obey Christ. Wow, that's a pretty high motivation for us, isn't it? Well, he doesn't stop there. It kind of gets more personal. He says, do so conscientiously. He says in verse 6, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. So we've to, we've to obey conscientiously. I, I, I wonder, have you ever done any physical training? Well, when I was a small boy at the age of eight, I was sent to a boarding school. And uh, we, we used to play rugby on days like today when it's hammering down rain, but just occasionally when the weather was really awful, we would, they would take us into the gym and we would have to do physical training and, and sometimes we'd have to do press-ups. And the, the coach would say, you know, keep going, keep going, you can do some more. And, oh, the arms used to get so tired doing these press-ups. And uh, wherever his back was turned and he was looking at folks at the other side of the gym, those of us who went, we would go down and we would kind of stay down, keeping our eyes open. And we would only start going up and down again when he was looking at us. You know, we were doing the bare minimum, the bare minimum. Well, there are employees who are all action when the boss is around. But when the boss isn't around, they find a, a, a quiet corner and, uh, and slow down. Or maybe they're like the, the, the manager who's out to lunch, except when the boss is around. But Paul says, listen, give of your best. Think of your witness. You might be the only Christian that some of your colleagues see. And our responsibility is to make Christ visible in the world. That's a big ask. But at the very outset of the previous chapter, Paul says, be imitators of God. And what a challenge that is. What a challenge. 
Well, uh, Paul goes on to say in verse 6, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Doing the will of God from your heart. So we are to uh, work uh, not only uh, with respect and fear and sincerity and conscientiously, but we're to do it wholeheartedly, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people. And I have to tell you that having been a pastor for very many years, there are some days when it's only the knowledge that you're serving God and not people that keeps you going. Because sometimes it's difficult because people are awkward. And that's all of us, me included, we're all awkward. But we are to serve uh, wholeheartedly. And that literally translated means with, with goodwill. Now, I, I guess all of us will have met uh, Christians who, who appear as though they've been baptized in lemon juice. You know the kind of folks that I'm talking about. There's not a lot of joy about their lives, and 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 that can make life just a a, a little bit a little bit difficult. But I think we are uh, to pour out our hearts and our souls into our work. And I did hear of a housewife who who had a, a notice above her sink, and it just said, "Worship takes place three times a day. Worship takes place three times a day." And Colossians reminds us, verse 17 of chapter 3, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that just simply tells us that if, if, if we do stuff right, it, 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 it becomes an act of worship to God. I, I can remember uh, very often whenever we had uh, an activity in the church I served and maybe it was a, a midweek or a Saturday evening and some activity was going on in the church hall and, and the chairs and the tables were out. Uh, when, it, when it was over, we would very often say, it'd be really great if some of you guys would stay and help us to shift everything back. But you know that in the church of Jesus Christ that 90% uh, of the work is done by 10% of the people. And it was true when it came to shifting the chairs. Uh, and I would look around and I would see who was prepared to help. And I was interested. I was a bit maybe naughty to look around at that. But I used to take note of who was willing to help and who wasn't. Uh, and then if, the, if we'd served a meal, uh, the floor needed to be swept. And I used to watch the way folks did that. Because some folks would just sweep quickly around. But others would get right into the corners and do a really good job. And he really knew that they were doing it because they were doing it for God. It makes a difference when the motivation is right and there's a, a wholeheartedness. Well, Paul goes on uh, and he says in verse 6, you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now, what I find interesting is this, about this is that when Paul was writing these words, he was thinking of a heavenly reward only. He wasn't thinking about an earthly reward because uh, slaves are not paid normally. So he was thinking about a reward from that, that 
that we would receive when we get to be with the Lord. Now, remember that the scripture says, if you give somebody a glass of cold water in his name, you'll receive the reward. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? Now, the interesting thing for me is that rewards, whether earthly or heavenly, do matter, and that Paul is not afraid to use them as a, as a motivating tool. Think of the rewards. What would it be to be welcomed into glory to hear the Lord saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Wow, isn't that good? So let me ask you, how did you do in your working career? Uh, how did you do or how are you doing? Respect, obey, respect and fear, sincerity, conscientiously, wholeheartedly. But, but Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to talk about employee, employers and the relationship with employees. And this is interesting because he gives some very clear direction. He talks about welfare. He says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. I don't know if any of you are employees, employers, or you were employers. I really don't know. But he says, <coughs> treat your servants in, in, in exactly the same way your employees. He's talking about welfare. You see, if an employer expects his workers to do their best for him, he has to first do his best for them. There must be no exploitation. And Paul says, if you want respect, show respect. If you want to see sincerity, be sincere. If you want to see conscientiousness, you be conscientious. If you want pleasantness, then model pleasantness to others. Show the same interest in them and their affairs as you hope they will show in you. It's, it's, it's not very complicated, is it? But boy, it's quite direct. And then he goes on to say, he says, do not threaten them. Now, why did he say that? Well, clearly, some slaves were being threatened. We know that Roman masters had authority in law to kill a slave, and some did. But Paul suggests that Christian masters have a better way to encourage obedience than threats of punishment. And actually, we're all equal before God. And that fact needs to be seen in our attitudes, in the way in which we behave. There is to be no bullying. And no unfairness. Uh, uh, my son is a policeman. And a number of years ago, I heard of a police officer who had a, a middle-ranking officer who had charges against her for bullying. Apparently, it was part of the culture of that organization. That should not be the part of the culture of any organization. And I suspect that just about all of us will have been bullied at some stage. We may have been guilty of bullying others, but that should not be. We mustn't use whatever influence we have in that way. No bullying and no unfairness. Well, why? Well, he tells us because um, oh, there we go. He says, don't threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. In other words, 
If you're in a position of responsibility over others, you need to be aware that you have someone over you. And you might be the top of a human tree, chair of a multinational corporation, but you still have someone over you, and it's God. God is over each of us. And submission, we have a master in heaven. And this is how he expects us to behave. He's telling us very clearly. And he goes on to say, not only have we to be submitted to God, but he talks about favoritism. He says there is no favoritism with God. And if God doesn't have favorites, then neither should we have favorites. Yes, it's true, isn't it, that we are naturally drawn to some folks more than others, perhaps shared experience or a, a sense of humor. And uh, uh, they say like attracts like. So we're drawn to some, but, but we're not allowed to show favoritism. Even to the folks that we don't like. I came across a really interesting quotation. It says this, he whose eye is filled with Christ never sees what kind of coat a man has on. Isn't that good? He who sees with eyes of Christ never sees what kind of coat a man has on. We are all made in the image of God, and that image may have been damaged by sin. But we need to learn to look at each other as Christ looks, to see an innate value in each one around us. And if God loves us each without favoritism, then that's the way we are to love one another. Romans, Paul writes, and he says, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So the question is, how do you stack up against that? I have to tell you, it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. But isn't God kind to teach us what he wants us to know in, in such a clear and an uncomplicated way? So we have the opportunity of stepping out into a new week and of seeking to make Christ visible. I think we need to pray and ask him to help us, don't we? So let's do that. Father, we're so very grateful for the love that you pour down upon us. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the truth of your word, for the way in which you teach us your truth. And Lord, sometimes it makes us feel very uncomfortable because we, we know that we let you down, Lord. But we thank you that when Jesus died on the cross, it was with the full knowledge of all that we were going to be and to do. So you knew that we would let you down, but you still chose to go to the cross for us. How marvelous is that? And Lord, we want to pray for each other. We don't, we're not sure of the challenges that we each face. We only know that challenge is part of life. And when we meet challenges, very often they, they produce growth within us. So would you help us, Lord, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in this incoming week, that some of the things that we've been talk talking about might become part of our witness. And we pray that 
in your mercy, that, oh God, that people might somehow catch a, even a small glimpse of Christ in us for the glory of your great name.